We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be Well, today I'm still speaking on the um, series, in the series, entitled A Life of Courage, Live a Life of Courage. In my sermon, as we talk about Elijah, now this is one of the most courageous guys that we ever see in the Bible. Just over and over again, he did miracles, this prophet did, and he trusted God and he was courageous in almost every setting, but not today. (laughs) Not the one we're looking at today. Suddenly his courage fails him. And so we're going to look at that and talk about that. I've entitled this sermon, For God's Sake, Let Him Pull You Together. All right? So let's pray, and then I'll preach the word. Father, we're just um, human beings, your creation, Lord, and we don't always think right, but we want to. So we ask for your help. We ask that you'd illuminate the truth of your word today. We ask, Lord, that you'd pour into our hearts and minds the things that you'd have us to know, not only collectively as a a body, as a church, but, Lord, individually. Would you speak to each person here today by the power of your Holy Spirit? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was, um, excuse me, when I was a little guy, I lived in Santa Cruz, California. I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and we would go to the beach periodically, and uh, <clears throat> my mom said to me one day, uh, the waves are big out there today, son. Don't go too far out. Uh, stay close. Well, you know how moms are, right? They get cold and you have to wear a coat just because they're cold, right? And so they're a little bit overprotective. So along the way, she wasn't watching. I just ventured out a little deeper than I should have because that's where the big waves were. My feet couldn't touch, but I thought I'm a decent swimmer. <clears throat> I got out there and just as I turned to look, a big wave was coming crashing down. I didn't have time to swim into it. We were doing body surfing. Learned that at a pretty early age when you go to the beach there. And uh, it crashed right on top of me and just hammered me. I'd never been hit like that before. It took me underwater, spun me around, and I felt like my limbs were going to fly off because everything was flailing. And then at, <clears throat> at the, when it all ended, I did not know which way was up. Anybody ever had that happen where you got hit so hard? You, you, you just think, which way am I supposed to go? I don't want to swim down and uh, watch the bubbles. You know, breathe and watch the bubbles. That'll tell you which way to go. But I, I came up, and I didn't even tell my mom about it when I came in because she wouldn't let me go out again, probably if I did. But, but I learned something, man. Uh, be, be careful. Ha- have you ever been hit so hard in life that you didn't know which way was up? Have you ever been hit so hard that sometimes you wondered if God knew where you were or cared about you? Well, Elijah's hit really hard in this one, and he doesn't know which way is up. This is a guy who's had amazing, miraculous things happen. Just came from one of the biggest miracles that has ever been seen on the earth, where fire came down in front of a nation, consumed to sacrifice all the water, rocks, and everything, and the whole nation bowed down and said, God is God, and we will serve him. The whole nation of Israel. 
But they didn't immediately. And that must have discouraged Elijah because maybe he's been hiding out for three years. Remember, he's seen these miracles. He comes out, God does this amazing thing, and he thinks, that's it, everything changes now. And everything um, did change to some degree, but not to the full degree that he wanted. So let's pick up the story there. And I'll, I'll tell you my first point today is fear eventually leads to flight. He had fear and he started to run. First Kings 19, when Ahab, that's the wicked king, got home, he told Jezebel, that's the wicked queen who evidently wasn't on site to see everything that happened. When he, when he told her everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And so here we have the man of God who wouldn't be intimidated in any way, standing up in front of 850 prophets of Baal, slew them all that day, not afraid one little bit. She sends a note and suddenly fear jumps into his heart. We have to be careful not to let our hearts be fertile soil for seeds of fear because the enemy works in fear. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. If you nurture fear very long, you're probably going to run at some point. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness. Let me just stop there and say, we are not made to travel alone. And one of the problems is that he left his servant beside and said, I'm going to go on my way. And then we see some solitary moments that lead to some bad thoughts. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Well, you know, when you get to that point where he says, he goes on to say, I've had enough, Lord, take my life or I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Well, now you're, 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 you're in that depression mode when you, when you are saying, I want to die. Just killed 850 angry prophets and he was not afraid. You know, have you heard that term fight or flight? That every person is either, when, when trouble comes your way, you either have fight in you or you have flight, you know, and, and it seems like to, to be one or the other. I saw in my daughter the other day which direction she goes because she was sitting on the couch and she hates spiders. I mean, she just absolutely, and a big old spider, bigger than a quarter, just was running across our living room floor and she yelled out, spider! She screamed, but flew off the couch, had a shoe that was on the floor and bam, hit it and it was just smashed to smithereens right there in front of us. And I looked at her and I said, well, when it comes to fight or flight, you're definitely one of those fight people, aren't you? She was afraid, but she lashed out and, and she took care of it. Well, the interesting thing about this scenario is Elijah's a fight guy, not a flight guy. He'd never been a running person away from trouble. But I think it's interesting to look at this. He saw Jezebel and he failed to see the Lord in that circumstance. We get like that sometimes. We look big at the circumstance and we take our eyes off God and we don't do well. When did Peter start to sink when he was walking on the water? When he took his eyes off of Jesus. And so this guy who had uh, uh, this really great fight for God heart suddenly was running. Why did he run? Well, here's a really good clue. James 5, 17. Elijah was a man just like us. So even though he was a great man of God, even though incredible miracles happened in his life, he had moments when he didn't do that well. 
one of the reasons I don't like to act like I never have any problems up here or I never uh, have struggles in my life as a Christian is because I don't think it helps people very much. If I present uh, this image of perfection where you, where you uh, think, well, uh, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be if you have everything right in your life, and, and then you decide it can be discouraging because you think, well, I, I have problems, so God must not like me as much as he likes that person. I, I want people to know that battles must be fought to be won. We all have battles. And this man is in a battle. And he is dejected. He is alone. He traveled 80 miles after he left his servant. And he was under that broom tree. And he found out that loneliness and discouragement often go together. And then he started to throw a pity party. Here's the problem with pity parties. The only one who shows up for a pity party is the devil. He's the only person who shows up. And so when we start to get really negative with our words and start to think of all the worst things, and I wonder why he was so upset and why, you know, he was afraid. But I think, and, and uh, I, I can't be sure of this, but I wonder, I should say, if maybe he thought that this was the once for all thing that would turn things around. You ever get that place in your life where you've had this struggle long enough? He was for three years in a solitary place. God was feeding him with birds, uh, bringing food, and, and um, <clears throat> then God fed him from a bowl where the food would reappear, and, and God kept doing these miracles for him, but he was hiding out, and he, had, he didn't even know where the next meal would come from. He had to rely on God for every little thing. And maybe he thought when he got to Mount Carmel, all right, finally, we're appearing this great miracle. It's over. Everybody's going to serve God and it's going to happen and it's going to go right. Have you ever had a time in your life where you thought, all right, now it turns and it doesn't? That can be discouraging. But it wasn't that, that things were wrong in that circumstance. It's that we had something that we projected that we wanted to happen and because it didn't, it was our own thoughts that led us to discouragement. It wasn't that God had abandoned Elijah. God was with Elijah and he would show him that. Now he was running ahead of the Lord in order to save his own life because things didn't work out the way he wanted exactly, although God was moving miraculously. Fear can make you run, but it's not the best thing to do. It wasn't in this situation, and often it's not for us. I mean, if it's running, it's always wrong because we should hear a direction of the Lord and go if, it's a, if there's a big change in our lives. <clears throat> I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor here at this church. It was Grace Community. We had some rough days. Uh, Karen reminded me it was 27 years ago or so when this happened. Man, how can I be that old? I feel so young. <laughs> but uh, the church doors were close to being closed to this church in those days. I came when the church it appeared to be doing well. As I was a youth pastor. I came on staff and it, the, the attendance went down about two-thirds. The pastor left, and um, there was some criticism that was going on. And, and, and um, you know, some of it was valid, some of it wasn't. And, you know, things just got a little bit weird. And our, our church was in jeopardy of closing the doors. I remember when the network office for the Assemblies of God came, and we were discussing what we were going to do. And one of the options was to shut it down because we were majorly behind financially. I became discouraged as a youth pastor in that setting. Um, you know, the, the pastor, I loved him, and, and when, when he's under fire, you feel under fire as, as, a, um, 
as a person yourself, right? I mean, as, a, as an associate, you just do. You, f- you feel it. It's, it's a family. And so, uh, it, and the, the numbers were going down and, and the finances were going backwards and I, I just got discouraged. And I told the Lord, I went to prayer and said, God, uh, surely you have another place for me to be. Uh, where, where's the next place? And God spoke to my heart and said, I don't want you to go. See, I was having some discouragement, having some fears about what the end might be and being part of what could be considered failure. And the Lord said, I don't want you to go. And he made it clear to me through a number of circumstances and, and his gentle whispers, I want you to stay. And I yielded, but I didn't want to. Have you ever done that? Listen, yielding when you don't want to is better than not yielding, but it's not the best, all right? <clears throat> so I stayed, and in a short time, something amazing happened. This church was, we, we were struggling, but the Lord caused a revival in the youth group to happen. And in a three-month period, the youth group swelled to 150 kids. And 47 people got saved in those three months. Shortly after, I said, okay, Lord, I'll stay, but I don't like it, you know. And, and I'm, I'm learning. I'm growing in my faith. I'm yielding, but I'm learning that I can trust him even though I didn't know what was going on, you know. I didn't understand. And I think there was something else that was going on in those days. I, it, was, it was really unique and kind of fun because uh, they had a Sunday night service we did at the time, and and the youth group had to move into the sanctuary and the, and the adults moved into the youth room because the youth group is growing so large. And so that was, you know, that was kind of cool to see that happening and that happened. And now as I look back, I think, what if I would have run when I felt like it? I'm so glad that I at least asked and I decided to say, okay, God. But I didn't even know that God had in mind that he was gonna bring me back to make me pastor here someday because I left for six years Within a year, I was gone anyway, but I, I was gone for six years, and, I, and this church brought me back as pastor, and part of them bringing me back was the beauty of the success that the Lord gave during that youth revival and my staying there and being faithful and loving on them because they were good people with faithful hearts, a faithful remnant going through a tough season. And God even, and I, and I say this humbly, elevated me in the eyes of the people to bring me back. I didn't even know what he was doing. And I may not have even been here if I'd have left sooner. And so when God has a direction, we need to understand that we can trust him, even though it seems hard. Listen, God never told you that it wouldn't be hard at times. Who's telling you that stuff? Is it someone else? Is it your, your own mind? He never told you that you wouldn't, uh, that, that everything would always be good. Sometimes we have to fight for something in the heavenlies to see the good come, spiritual warfare. He does love you, He does have your welfare in mind, but he wants to give you a rich and rewarding life which includes overcoming through adversity. And and adversity will strengthen you and prepare you for battles that are ahead. Do you remember when David said, I've slain the bear, I've slain the lion, and this giant is going down? Well, I bet you he was afraid when the lion jumped up. I bet you he was. I bet you when the bear jumped out, he had his heart in his mouth for a moment. But God helped him to destroy those things that weren't nearly as dangerous as this giant and who brought fear. And because these things had happened in his life, he had faith when he got to the bigger things, when he got to the giant, that God was with him. And God would help him. And God uses things, even adversity in our lives, to strengthen us. You've heard me speak of weightlifting before. You know what happens during weightlifting and weight training. 
Your muscles are, are exercised so hard that they're torn down and through the tearing down of the muscles, more strength comes. Now you have to watch the balance of those things because you can't tear down too much. But God watches the balance for us and he will build us through adversity and make us strong where when we come to a tough point in our lives, we say, okay, all right, I've seen him work before. He's gonna work again. Well, God will use ad- adversity and he used it with me as a youth pastor and he'll use it in the lives of others too. Elijah decided to go out alone and uh, he discovered that only the, the wilderness awaits those who run in fear. Galatians 6, 9 is a great promise for each of us as we understand that God has purpose even in trials. It says this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Psalm 56.3 says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. <clears throat> Notice it says not <clears throat> if I get afraid, but when I get afraid, I will trust in you. Because if Elijah fears, the rest of us are going to fear too, because he was a greater man of God than we are. Person of God than we'll ever be. He trusted the Lord, but I, I, I'll, when I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? So here we have Elijah. He's not thinking right. He's bought into something that probably is a whisper and a lie from the enemy. So how does God, how does he respond to his servants when they aren't thinking right? Well, I'm happy to tell you that even in those circumstances, God cares for you. It's my second point today. Even when you're not doing right. When your kids aren't doing right, your little toddlers or those children in your home, when they're not thinking right and they're whining and complaining, you still love them and care for them, right? Well, even when we whine, God loves us and he cares for us. First Kings 19, look at how God graciously deals with this servant. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But he was sleeping and but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. <clears throat> he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. God keeps feeding this guy miraculously, man. That's the third time. That's pretty gracious, right? You're, he's complaining. He's not thinking right. He's pouting. And God says, here, I want to give you something. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Well, he'd come 80 miles to that spot alone and he would travel about over 150 more miles to Mount Sinai in the next 40 days. So that's why God says, uh, you'll need strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So here he has this amazing Miraculous happening at Mount Carmel where the fire comes down, the sacrifice is consumed, the 850 prophets of Baal are defeated. And immediately after, he has this wearying of his soul that leads to discouragement. I thought it was interesting that the ancient church fathers used to say this to their disciples. Beware of human reactions after holy exertions. After something awesome has happened, um, and God has moved in an incredible way, and you've been used in that setting, and if you've wearied yourself to make it happen, you better be careful and make sure you get proper rest 
And don't exert yourself too much more immediately after, but rest in the Lord. I want to talk about that for a moment. He, he told him to sleep, and he told him to eat some more. That's more spiritual than we might think. Um, Jesus spoke to his disciples about this as well. Look at Mark 6.31. It might surprise you. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, this is to his disciples now, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So here are all these people around him. There's a buzz. They want to get healed. It's Jesus. It's the disciples. And Jesus says, hey guys, let's pull away. That's something for you to think about with ministry. You're not supposed to just stay out there all the time and exert yourself where you won't have any strength because you get yourself in trouble. You got to have a balance. And part of it is eating well and resting. That doesn't sound very spiritual, but Jesus just said it. Okay, guys, we've worked hard. Now we need to rest. You need to get some rest and you need to eat. I have decided that we're all pretty much like three-year-olds. When we don't eat and we don't get good rest, we pout and we get cranky. And mom says in those settings, oh, they haven't had a nap. He needs his nap. Right? We're not much different. Those kind of things really do affect us. Now, you work through it, and you do your thing, and that's cool. You're just as tough as they come. But eventually, everybody has a breaking point. So here we have it, the combination of an emotional burnout with Elijah, weariness that comes from hunger and travel, a deep sense of failure at overcoming when the greatest thing that the world had ever seen to that moment miraculously had happened just, just days before, Plus this lack of faith, it led him into what appears to be a depression. Now, I don't know if he's clinically depressed. I don't, know, I don't know, you know, they didn't have those things in those days in terms that they talked about. But I know this, he was really discouraged and he might have had what we call depression today. You might be surprised to see this in the Bible, Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. I want you to notice how gracious God was to refresh his servant. He wasn't mad at him. I think we have just a view of God the Father that he's real harsh sometimes. Even some of the best Christians I know who get their who from their do instead of their do from their who. I'll let you work that one out on your own. I don't have time. But, 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 but they, they just... They, they, they just want to serve God and they want him to be pleased with them and they don't understand. He just loves you. He loves you. He delights in knowing you and having a relationship with you and it's not about your performance. You're his child. And he cares about you. And even when you mess up, you know, how do you view him? Do you view him as not liking you when you, when you didn't do everything just right? Well, I promise you, he always loves you and he always wants to minister to you and bring you back to the right place with the right thoughts where you can know how good he is. He's gracious here to Elijah, giving him the food and the rest and the spiritual strengthening that he needed. And it encourages me to know that even when the child of God is discouraged and not thinking right, God still ministers to him with grace. He's awesome. We have some stigmas about depression in our culture let me, let me speak to that for a moment. Um, sometimes depression happens because a really bad series of circumstances hits someone's life. 
And, um, you, you know, I was raised in a Pentecostal environment where we believe for miracles and we want to see the revival of God and we're loud and sometimes proud, you know, that, th- th- those things. And I, I'm all for, uh, you know, God doing big things, but, but, but sometimes we put a heavy on people. Um, for, for instance, if a young lady is abused sexually by the person that she calls dad in this life, and it happens over and over again, it's like taking a hammer and beating on something and over and over and over again until it eventually caves in. And it would make sense that after that becomes depressed by being hammered so long, it makes sense that that young lady would be depressed. Because there's such a deep sadness in a heart to say, God, where are you? I don't get this. I'm hurting, not knowing what to do. And yet in pride, some people will say to people who are depressed, and it might not be that, it might be the loss of three loved ones over a six-month period. But we have people who mean well, but don't do well when they say to others, well, if you'd just think right and have faith, you wouldn't be there. Well, listen, I believe in miracles. I know God can heal a depressed heart and mind. But I just want to say to those people, who was responsible for the healing of the paralytic when they let their friends let him down through the roof and Jesus healed him? Do you remember that? There's too many people around. Who did, who did the Bible say was responsible for the healing? It says this, because of the faith of your friends, you've made, been made whole. That's what Jesus said. So I want to say to people who say, if you just have faith, I want to say, if you had faith, they'd be healed. What are you putting that on them for? It's just another hammer. Let them know how much God loves them. Take them to the feet of Jesus and be there for them. You say, well, I'm not responsible for that. I haven't even been around. Well, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe if we were around more, they wouldn't feel it so much. But if we love them and we care for them, and yes, we speak of his power, but we speak in terms of how gracious and loving he is. That's what heals. When they get a true perspective of who he is, that he cares and that he is powerful. One of the men that I respect most as a minister, the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, George Wood, Dr. George Wood, had a two-year bout of intense depression in his ministry, clinically depressed. He's the general superintendent of over 12,000 churches in the United States in the fellowship called the Assemblies of God. He said in a magazine article, I speak from personal experience. In the early 1990s, I went through a steep two-year valley of depression. As a young minister, I found myself getting negative about many things. The Spirit spoke to my heart one day and said, you're hanging around with friends who are negative. You either need to change your friends or change them. Rather, change friends or change them. He said, I did a little of both and I got some relief. He said, the enemy was trying to pick me off through discouragement and depression. And then he said, depression is often not a sin at all or a lack of faith and trust. It may be a deep sadness. If the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God can go through a depression and use his story to heal and bring blessing to others and see, we can see that the blessing of God has come to him. He's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. He probably has an IQ of over 150. 
He's a brilliant man, but he's relational and he's caring and oh, does he understand about the love of God when he speaks. And I want us to be the kind of people that walk with, that care about, and yes, believe for our friends to be healed, but we don't put them down. And we don't tell them, look, you gotta get over this right now. We walk with them. We, it's a journey and we, we trust God and we love them and we believe for their healing. Elijah needed to get renewed. He needed a fresh vision. He needed to be strengthened and God was there for him. Psalm 55, 22, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. We put our trust in him. Third thought today, and it, 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 it might seem obvious, but I, I believe that there are people here today I've been praying. You say, how do you know these things? I really don't, right? But the Lord gives impressions and so you cast seed and if this touches it, then maybe it's the Lord. I believe there are people here today that are depressed and they don't know it. There's such a deep sadness in their heart um, and they've got a smile in this setting but they can't, they can't get themselves to come about to feeling good. And... Um, they, they can't see any way forward in life that looks like it would add up to something positive for them. And I believe that the Lord is choosing this moment today to speak to those hearts and say that he cares about you, that he loves you, that he knows, that he wants to strengthen you, and then that, he, that, that this, you are not alone. See, that's, that's the thought that the depressed have that is dominant. Nobody cares. I'm all alone. Nobody really cares. But God's showing that not only does he care, but he's there with you. 1 Kings 19.9. Then he came to a cave, talking of Elijah. So he's under a broom tree, travels another 150, 160 miles to Mount Sinai. Now he's in a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've had the Lord say that to me a couple times when I was somewhere that I probably shouldn't have been, and and he'd just say, what are you doing here? usually follow some time where we're saying something like, Lord, I'm praying and nothing's really happening in this place. And you say, well, what are you doing in this place? Meaning, I didn't call you to, I didn't call you to this place, this state, this, but I do want to call you out and help you and bless you. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And isn't that, doesn't that sound like depressed talk? I, everything feels so bad. You feel like nobody could ever understand or has ever been what you're going through. And now they're trying to kill me too. The truth was there were 7,000 people who hadn't bowed yet. But Elijah thought he was the only one. It wasn't what he was thinking. He was thinking wrong. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. So he comes out of the cave, he stands there at the mouth of the cave and as he stood there, the Lord passed by in a mighty windstorm. It's interesting that the Lord gives these physical demonstrations of his power. I think maybe what the Lord was showing him is Elijah thought, Lord, don't you know? Can't you see that everything's really bad? You're not moving? It looks like Jezebel has more strength than you because she's gonna kill me. So I think the demonstration, and it's interesting that, that, that the word says that he wasn't in the, 
the windstorm, although he, it was, he miraculously was doing it. He, he wasn't in the earthquake. He did an earthquake. And just if you think, you know, it was Mother Nature, as some would, I don't know what his temptation would be. He brought fire. You pretty much know fire doesn't naturally show up on its own, right, in nature. God was doing these miraculous demonstrations to show Elijah, this is what I think, that he was in, completely in charge of everything. That nothing was out of his power or control. Sometimes we don't feel in control, but that never means that God's out of control. That it's out of his control. Everything is with, within his control. He had all power and he said, because these things are happening, basically, I don't want you to think that I can't do it. Because I can. But sometimes God's up to things in ways that we don't understand. When you think of Remember New and the abuse that that young lady went through, and in the moments that knew was as a teenager being violated and sold into sexual trafficking. In that first moment, she was crying out to God and she, she basically said, Jesus, where are you? I thought you loved me. And she decided he must not love me, but she prayed a prayer. I pray that if this happens to me, it'll never happen to another person. Just make it where it never happens to another girl. Well, amazingly, God took that horrible event brought her someone through Carl Ralston and Lori who adopted that young lady and together they're building homes all across Asia to rescue women from sexual trafficking and new story of salvation coming out of that, being saved, being renewed by God is changing young ladies and changing people and affecting us in America as we give to see that this terrible tragedy doesn't happen to young ladies. God used even a terrible thing to bring about some good things. And New can stand as someone who knows when she speaks to these young ladies who are coming into these homes and God uses her life to bless them, to lead them out, to bring them to a place where they'll trust in him because he was her deliverer. It says that there was a mighty windstorm. This is verse six, um, Verse 11. Such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. What's it mean he wasn't in the fire, the wind, or the earthquake? What it means is he was a demonstration, but where he really spoke to Elijah was in the gentle whisper. I love that part. I want to bring that out today because, you know, one of the best things about Pentecostals is everybody who does, lives in the spirit realms, think, uh, they, they, they know that they can hear from God. And one of the worst things about Pentecostals is everybody thinks they hear from God because they'll just tell you. And we have to be careful. There are certain people just come up to us and just say everything that's in their head and tell you it's God and listen. The Bible says that when someone gives a word, whether it's a word of prophecy, which I believe in and I know these things are real, but it says that it should be examined carefully. Right after it says, quench not the spirit, but it says examine everything carefully and carefully hold on to that which is good. So, if someone gives you a word, and I'm just saying Pentecostals, we're into fanfare. We like the big, we like the loud, we like the demonstration. The louder you get, the better you get, the more you clap. God's in the house. Not necessarily. People can be loud and not have any God. But here's, I, now I believe in miracles and loud doesn't bother me if it's genuine and, but what I want to get a point to is I, I want these spirit people to understand something. I'm one of you. God is in the gentle whisper. He's in it. 
Those other things, this guy knew the power of God, but he didn't know that gentle whisper of God. And when God whispered is when he heard the loudest. When I was a student at George Fox University as a freshman, I'd been raised in this Pentecostal environment where it was, you know, you, you, you have to... Um, get your tennis shoes on to get a good grip on the wall in those services. I mean, it, it, was, it was interesting. And so I wasn't doing very well with God when I was a freshman in college. And you've heard me tell that story, some of you before. But I remember one of the first services, these are Quakers. They're, they're, they're friends. And they were having a chapel service. And I'm just sitting there, and honestly, I wasn't hearing any, anything. I wasn't listening. It was kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, there was Silence. Well, they have, I didn't know it, but they have this thing in their chapel services where they just have a moment of silence that lasts about a minute and a half. It was the loudest thing I heard that whole day. I wasn't listening and it was like... And I thought, oh no, someone doesn't know they're supposed to be up there. This is awkward. But everybody seemed okay with it and I thought, weird. And someone told me later, no, we, we believe that God speaks in a gentle, uh, still and a quiet voice and we have moments of silence where you can hear from. Well, that, that's something that the spirit people could really learn from. Because I learned from it. He's in the whisper too. And Elijah heard that, it says. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and the voice said a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now you're trying to kill me. And then the Lord gave him direction in that gentle whisper. And thank God, Elijah decided to follow. When it comes to your feelings, they can really get you in trouble. We don't know it, but we're taught in America to be led by our feelings, and it's not a good thing. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? That's not talking about unbelievers only. That's talking about believers as well. Sometimes the thing we most want for ourselves is not the thing God wants for us at all. So I say, and this is not original with me, but I like it, make your feelings the caboose of the train and faith the engine. Sometimes I don't feel like doing the thing that God is calling me to, but by faith, I will move. I think that's where he is right here. But thank God he moves, and the Lord does more miracles and works through Elijah again. We'll talk about that next week. He told him to travel to Damascus and anoint this new king, and then the Lord would begin to work, and he was doing even more for the people of Israel. So he's depressed. He's hiding out in the cave. God shows him the great signs of the windstorm, the earthquake, the fire. But he wasn't in those. He led Elijah back to the right place, but he did it with his gentle whisper. I would just encourage you as believers to pull away, get alone with God, and seek to hear his gentle whisper. What's he saying to you? What direction would he speak? And then, as he gives you a sense, you say, how can you know? I don't know that I can resolve that completely for you here this morning, but I can tell you that he'll settle your heart down, give you peace, and you, and you just come out of prayer sometimes with the, just a sense, well, I think I know what I should do. And when you follow, you find that he's there with you. 
God cares about us and he wants us to know that we're not alone. You're not alone. He is with you. When I, uh, <clears throat> when I was a younger man, um, I was a district youth director for the uh, Assemblies of God for six years. And Karen and I started that job without having any children. And uh, we traveled 30 or 40,000 miles a year in a car for those six years, every, every year that, that distance or so, and, and we liked it. But then we had our, our firstborn, Aaron, and uh, we traveled, and it, it got harder to travel because you take a baby, you know, being on the road, that, that it, it's, it's hard. And, and uh, then Candace came, and it was almost impossible, you know, with, with two. We'd, we'd just load up. We'd be gone for a week or two sometimes, so you just have to load the back of that caravan just exploding with stuff, you know, to, to live on the road for, for these babies. Before Candace was born, and Aaron was somewhere between a year, year and a half, and our, our kids learned how to travel because we were on the road four to six hours a day a lot with babies. And we'd have to stop every hour and a half, every two hours, that sort of thing. But we, it, was, it was just our life. But when Aaron was there before Candace came, we'd travel along and it'd start to get dark and he'd be all fine. He was, he was great traveling baby. And then it would get dark. And when it got dark in the car, he would start to cry almost every time because he couldn't see us. And we had captain's chairs in the front and a bench seat in the back and, and I would do this when he would start to cry. I could reach back because I could reach all the way and I would take his hand in the dark and every time I took his hand, he would stop crying immediately because he knew we were there, that I was there. And then I would just hold his hand for a while and pretty soon in the dark with that car moving down the road, he would just go to sleep because he had peace in his heart. I think of that story and I think of us. We're, we're kind of like that too. Sometimes we just wonder, God, where are you? It's so dark. And we cry. But what I want you to know is God's a way better dad than I am. He's a way better father than I can ever be. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He reaches in the darkness of that moment in these spots in our lives to hold our hand and to give us peace. You're not alone. He loves you. The hand of human flesh can never do for us what the hand of God can. We can get comfort from people, but it's more powerful than anything to know that he is with us. Matthew 28, 20, and be sure of this. It's the words of Jesus, who's God. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always, even in these hard times. Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown, even when you don't know which way is up sometimes. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Isn't it great to know that he's always with us and will always help us? God let Elijah know that he hadn't left him. That he still had things that he was doing and a work that was happening that was powerful. He loved him and had all the power. He showed him that and he would guide him to the best place. And that's what he'll do for us. He loves you. 
He has all power and he'll guide you to the best place. Put your hand in his.